Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Enteritis Blues. My name is Steve Lipman, joined as always by Dan Volpone. And this week, uh, as the draft is upon us, we have a very special guest, a uh, friend of the podcast many times over, and us of his, Porter, aka Trillbro Dude. Porter, thank you for being here with us. How are you feeling? Uh, we were just talking. Uh, it is slop season, so That's we right. sent out the bat signal. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's <laughs> great to see you, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back on. Yeah. Um, I am very excited. This is 100% my wheelhouse. I mean, this year is the first year that I've gotten crazy into the draft, probably since the process era. I think 2018 was probably the last draft that I was like crazy into, but now I'm into it. We only have the 23rd pick, but I know a lot about the prospects. And then of course the free agency and trade stuff is, yeah. is my, my wheelhouse. So I'm really excited for this next two weeks. Us too. Before we get into that, we're going to hit a few topics from uh, just regular Sixers stuff. And before we get into that, uh, any comments on the Warriors closed out the Celtics and uh, Al Horford and Al Horford's many siblings uh, the other day, uh, which is great. Great news uh, all around. Just thrilled that it happened. Would love another roundtable uh, with all the siblings because I just yeah. I can't get enough of it. Maybe the Celtics will never, yeah, they'll never win a game again. They went 0-3 after that fuck Philly (laughs) article came out. So that bizarre, let's get all the siblings in one athletic article. Why the fuck are we doing this? He's like an average, pretty good role player on the Celtic. Let's interview all his family members. What are we doing? They all have Twitter accounts. Who gives a fuck? Wonderful. Very strange. Um, Any thoughts on the uh, Warriors closing out uh, the Celtics? Thank God, right? Thank God. Oh, oh my God! God. I, 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 I will say, I felt, I felt like after it, everyone was comparing it, and I don't. God, I'm already bringing up the Sixers Raptors series, which is not a good sign. But everyone was kind of comparing it in Game Four when the Celtics had a chance to pull away and go up three-one. And then Steph literally just went into God mode. It was very similar to how Kawhi did that in game four in the Sixers Raptor series. And when that happened, I was like, the Warriors got this. Like, Mm -hmm. like the Celtics had to win game four. And then every game after that, it was just like, they kind of figured them out from that point on. And look, man, like I, you know, I love to, I love to shit on the Celtics. I love to shit on Boston, but like, I think there's going to be major overreactions in the media to this when like one team had Steph Curry and the other didn't like, that's kind of what it comes down to. Like he's a top 10 player of all time. He already was before last night that solidifies it. Like I, I just, I wouldn't really read too much into it other than like Steph is a basketball God. (laughs) Well, and even I feel like we're already seeing overreactions with 
all the talk about how Boston doesn't have like a true point guard, like Marcus Smart's playing point guard. And that's why they're turning the ball over. It's like, as if you plug Rajon Rondo into that team, they're like so much better in the turnover right. cut in half. It doesn't make sense. Like well, who's, other players touch the ball, the whole possession. Who's the Warriors traditional point guard, Steph Curry? Cause he's not a traditional point guard at all. <laughs> they have their, their issue was that they had too many turnovers because they had too many turnover prone players. That was like the big flaw with their roster. It wasn't, they didn't have like one particular type of player who's going to have the ball, like maybe like 10% of the time on offense and not really do much. That wasn't their problem. It was very bizarre. And Tatum played way below his average. You know, yeah. he ran out of gas in this one and, and Wiggins played great on him. And, um, and he just uh, unfortunately sucks overall, which is a shame. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we won the draft night trade. This yeah, so, yeah, that, that did, also I mean, is solidified. They, looks... they would win with Fultz. All right, all, right. <laughs> all I'm saying is, if we don't make that trade, we don't get Maxi because we traded Fultz for the pick yeah. that became Maxi. So, like Tyrese Maxi, Jason Tatum, it's hard to say who you would prefer. Right. A lot of my favorite commercials say fortune favors the brave, and that's just a, something that I love saying. And um, it's just one of my favorite phrases. Um, Can I say something real quick, though, before we move off of the series? Please. Because, you know, I've been complaining a lot about uh, all of the the stuff Nate Silver does and all of those ridiculous uh, catch-all metrics. Calculator boy. Yeah. So all of, and you know, we talked about a lot with with Mike O'Connor, especially like with some uh, MVP-related discussion. But I just want to... talk for a second about the big win of this of the year for these advanced metrics which is the Boston Celtics um and I just want to point out like how these advanced metrics really don't know their like limits like like they go so above and beyond on certain players and I'm not going to like get into how they suck in all the other ways because we've done that on other podcasts and you can listen to those but ESPN's basketball power index gave the Celtics an 86 percent chance to win the series going in and 538's uh, Raptor gave the Celtics an 80% chance to win the series going in. So all the talk of, well, all of the, if, okay, if, you know, one of these metrics says that Jokic is, the, is, you know, having the best season ever, well, that's one thing, but they all say it, so it must be true. It's like, okay, well, they all said that the Celtics were going to kill the world. Like, that should, like, 80, over 80% chance to win, that should be Celtics in five, right? Yeah. And the Celtics clearly look like the worst team. The betting markets which until the straw poll came out at the end of the season, had Joel as the MVP, had the Warriors winning this series and had it being a much closer series. And I'm not trying to rehash the MVP discussion. I'm just trying to say that these catch-all metrics are so silly. Teams don't use them. They're like fun sometimes. I use them. Like I'll look at like Raptor because I think it's fun sometimes just to like see what it spits out, but to like decide like, who's better between two players by looking at that or to, you know, use it to say that a player on a six seed is having the best season ever is so unreal. And the Celtics were never an 86% chance to win the series. They were, they should have been and clearly were as it played out slight underdogs is what the betting market had is what I thought going in. And I think we need to just take a step back and be like, this is insane. Let's just like acknowledge the limits. And there there's like, huge limits on these there's like their best use is like this is kind of fun and to well, use them for anything past that is nuts it's the classic overthinking that's constantly done by the basketball media which is like i mean perfect example is like all the even earlier in the playoffs when all those guys that you know are that have podcasts and they write for whatever publication like 
they all were picking like the Raptors to beat the Sixers. And then after like two games, when the team was still healthy and like, you know, in one piece, it was pretty obvious that like the team that had two of, I don't know, the 175 best players of all time was going to beat the team that was led by Pascal Siakam. So like, it does feel like we read too much into these things. Like the, the Celtics became the analytics favorite team. They became the blog boy favorite team. No offense. I know we're on a Liberty Ballers podcast, but they became like the nerd favorite team. And all of it was just a massive overthinking when you consider, oh, right, like human emotion and experience matters. Like yeah. Steph Curry and Draymond Green and you know Clay Thompson, who didn't even have a great series, have all been there before. And the Celtics, as much success as they have had, have never been there. And it showed when you said, like, you're, you know, like there are things that you can't really quantify with numbers. And there are certain things going into that series that the, the Warriors had an advantage going into because they would figure it out over the course of a series, whereas the Celtics just didn't really didn't really feel like the the seasoned veteran team. So leave it at that. Elsewhere, Jake Fisher, friend of the podcast. I am surprised he didn't come directly to us to break this weird move. That's what he did uh, last summer. I have to say. It is like, what he did he, last he summer. First to the uh, Sixers that are not talking to Ben. Story. Not talking to Ben. And Jeez. then people were like, that's not real because he did it on that dumb shit podcast. And we were like, that is fair. <laughs> they did, they did say that. Then, it was then like, we were justified. Then we were vindicated. Matisse and all of those other weirdos. <laughs> they were like, it's called the gastroenteritis blues. I know. Okay. And we were like, right. that's weird that's and shitty. Podcast. We know that. But, <laughs> literally. Um, the literally website that does the, the 25 best players list that suck he's from bleacher report he doesn't know anything right yeah well you know what egg on their face anyway well, jake I, I just want to say shout out to jake by the way i just yes. I, I know that he might be in witness protection right now because of mm -hmm. toronto raptors fans he had a report that og ananobi might be mm -hmm. traded and there was a vicious assault so protect jake and uh just you know thoughts and pressure with also you. the numerous raptors players are unhappy <laughs> with their roles is also in there which is so funny is carlin He's brave. Nick, he's he's Nick such Nurse a brave soul. And his branded hats are going to go right after Jake's neck. <laughs> All right. Jake, uh, who does a great job, he, he uh, had a report that two weeks from the beginning of NBA free agency, uh, all signs point to all-star guard James Harden returning to the Sixers on a shorter-term contract extension. Uh, the Sixers have been resistant to the idea of giving Harden a full four-year max extension. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, in any scenario, Harden is expected to pick up the player option for 22-23. Um, Jake, uh, I think, theorizes, but sort of like uh, informed theorizing, that a two- or three-year extension tacked onto that would make sense. And he also peppers in that Harden has said as much on record that he would be receptive to the idea of potentially taking less money um, to help the team in the future, but that's sort of to be determined. What he knows is that it seems like Harden will be back, shorter term extension, but that he will be opting in to that number, which I believe is 47 million. So it's a little bit interesting to me that he's going to opt into that number, which is super high, but doing the extension at a shorter term. Uh, I'm happy that the, the years will be less and I'm hopeful that uh, it won't be a full sort of... Um, you know, long, you know, I, it's obviously not going to be the full max, which I would be shocked if it was the full max. 
Um, I guess I'm slightly disappointed that he's just picking up the option because I'd like them to have more options. And I think um, Porto, you'll you'll know about how that affects like yeah. their mid level mid level sure. exception and stuff. So, what's your immediate reaction when you see this news? So, yeah, I mean, my first immediate reaction was, oh no, my podcast content is ruined because mm-hmm. on my podcast. I've been talking about the MLE and the BAE and some targets we could go after with that $10 million, that $4 million that we could potentially bring in this offseason. And if Harden opts in, it almost throws that out the window because the hope was he would get closer down to like a high 30s, low 40s. And uh, Brian Toporek, who does great work on this, and Derek Bodner does too, but they basically explained to me that like you, they would have had to get under that like around $42 million mark in order to basically have access to those without dumping a bunch of other salaries. So getting rid of like Furkan Korkmaz and Danny Green and getting back no salary, which is very, very unlikely. unlikely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, they, him, can, they can decline Green's option though. Sure. Oh yeah. Sorry. They could decline Green's option. They would have to move Korkmaz and get no, no money back. But the hope was that you could move Danny with the pick and then get some sort of contributor back. So if you, if you decide to do that, then basically you're, you weren't probably going to have access to that anyway. So it might be a better way of acquiring that fifth starter. If they, if they can't move on from Tobias and long story short, it sucks for that element of it, but it is good for the fact that like, if we were really handcuffed to James Harden and we, you know, we didn't really know what he was going to look like for five years, that would be terrible, obviously. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's one thing to have 33-year-old James Harden. It's another thing to see, like, what's this guy going to look like at 37 years old at the end of this deal? So mm-hmm. the deal ends around when he's like 36, I believe, and that's a little bit more palatable. And also, you know, who knows what happens? My, my whole thing with this situation has been like, I, I think the windows now, and I think you got to kind of push in the chips. I think you need to do whatever you need to do, you know, whether that is keep the pick and use it or try to get a fifth starter with Danny's contract or with Furcon, whatever it is. Then I do think that like our options are much more limited for this offseason, which definitely sucks. But on top of that, I do think that like two to three years from now, like Maybe Harden resigns for less money. Maybe things are going well. Maybe we've made a finals appearance or we, I don't know, who knows? If we want a title, who even cares about all of this? Of course. But may, maybe we've gotten a little bit deeper and Harden can take a discount in a few years. There is going to be a cap spike in a few years with the new TV deal coming in. And they could potentially, even if Harden is not Harden and in two years from now he walks, there is an opportunity when Joel Embiid still is like uh, in his early 30s to get one last push to create cap space, have Maxi, Embiid, and then a third star that could come in via free agency or whatever. So long-term, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Short-term, a lot less flexibility. But overall, not as bad as it could be, and I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, you know, the, the way that the Sixers are going to contend is if James Harden is James Harden. Like, I think that getting in guys and and creating depth is also important, but you can kind of figure that out on the margins a little bit easier. And Maury has a history of doing that. He hasn't with the Sixers as much, but he did with the Rockets. And the hope is, is that if Harden, you know, is Harden again, and then Maxi can take another step and Embiid's always getting better, then then that's where we're going to contend anyway. So ultimately sucks, but, you know, it isn't, it isn't the end of the world. I also like, I wonder, 
looking at I hate to like bring up like this is almost just like the sad reality of it. But, like you check the like the Josh Harris perspective of this and like you're what you're willing to spend. And I think that you know the idea of trying to go after you know a third a third star if depend fourth if you count maxi whatever this summer if one were to come available like if you luck into Beal or, or or Mitchell or Levine wanting to somehow come here and you can you know get off Tobias do we have to do to figure that out um if Harden is obviously opting in this year you're way into the tax but if he's then the next year going to be making like 12 or 14 million dollars less than he is this year you're looking at the opportunity to dodge the repeater tax and i think that that's probably something ownership values um if they can like know that getting a third star doesn't necessarily tie them into a future of you know paying you know what is like 50 60 million dollars in tax money every year and so i think that if they do get a, a hardened extension in the you know, low to mid thirties, that probably does open a bit of a door and give Daryl a bit of a green light to like be maybe a little reckless and like, do we have to do to get off of Tobias and, and go get one of, one of those guys, because you know that you probably could, you know, especially because if, if, you know, Harden opts in, as it seems, the Sixers are, you know, probably, you know, they're like you said, you're, they're not getting these exceptions anyway. So they were probably looking at a sign and trade. They're not going to create cap space, even if they get off of Tobias. Um, they're not going to sign him to space if it's a sign and trade um, for guys like Beal, for you know Levine, not for Mitchell. Um, then you're looking at being you know hard capped anyway. So what's the difference? And if this is a one year thing where you're going to be hard capped anyway, then you know that hardened extension. If you can be sure to have you know these core four here and be under the tax at least until the maxi extension, which you'll have one more year. I'm sure that probably looks pretty good. He, uh, Jake also goes on to say some of what we've heard, which is that Sixers are essentially trying to trade Danny. They're open to trading Danny with the 23rd pick open to trading Thibel in some packages, but they're being a bit precious with him. They wouldn't trade him last year in the Ben deal. Great worked out. Aces, excellent move. Um, Tobias Harris, uh, they will, uh, he will be mentioned in trade scenarios. Uh, he has received rave reviews. These are Zagat reviews, I guess, from staffers uh, for his team first mentality and locker room presence. I, I remind you, this is a locker room which did not give a fuck in game six of the playoffs. Uh, this is, they just didn't try hard enough. Great. He also, Tobias Excellent himself ad admitted this right after. Yeah, no, he Tobias to yeah. went, it would have been nice if we tried harder. Well, Great. yeah, well, because he's, he's, he's a locker room guy. That's, he's, a, yeah. he's leading I mean, the be, locker room, but he doesn't give he a He was so in tune with the locker room that he knew how little they cared. So he was the right one to tell <laughs> he him. Goes, he goes, that was tonight? Ah, fuck. I knew that was my alert didn't go off. All right. Well, he is a nice guy. All right. So should Harris remain in Philadelphia? This is Jake. There's an argument to be made that the soon-to-be 30-year-old would be greatly positioned to perform in a, well, what the fuck is this stanza? Um, but Harris's representation his dad has made it known. <laughs> Just say right, his dad. His father, right. Has made it known that the veteran would like more on-ball opportunities within the Sixers offense, particularly in pick and roll action. What are we doing? Get him off the team. I'm sorry. Get him off the team. Listen, 
Tobias is generally a nice guy. He's a good statesman. He is nice in the community. He likes cookies. I'm sorry. He needs to go. Like, he's a generally decent player. He gets paid a shitload of money. It would be yeah, better Steve, if he You was... have to keep in mind that the value of all of his apes just went to shit. So he is probably not making <laughs> as much true. as you think. And like, we're, we've all fallen on hard times the pandemic. Um, like, this is insane. Like, his role, since Maxi has ascended the way that he has, and since we got James Harden and Joel's an MVP, like, his role is what it is. Like, sometimes he'll be able to solo on games that Joel is out or games when Harden wants to, like, have a smoke break. I don't know. Like, sometimes he'll be able to solo and and run more pick and roll but like it is like corrosive if your fourth best player who's already overplayed is bitching in the offseason in june about his role it's ridiculous it's obscene that he's going to the team complaining about his touches already right now like I think he doesn't want to be here, honestly. Like yeah. there was Keith Pompey reports, uh, he had two of them recently about how the Sixers have screwed over their third best players lately. It's like you gotta be kidding me. Like I, I I think that he would rather play on a worse team where he could get more touches, which is God bless, go ahead. But like I think they need to get him off the team. If this is if he's gonna be doing this and they're not even playing games, like I really think they need to if he's gonna be doing this, they need to get him off the team. And I and I did not anticipate this kind of thing from him because he was way better at the end of the year in that role and now he's unhappy with that role so he's really kind of good for nothing on the basketball court and the crazy thing is he's talked for so long about how the fans hating him has like gotten to him it's bothered him it's like okay fine and like he was getting like standing ovations in the playoffs like on a team that was like getting booed for poor effort he was like one of the few guys who fans were appreciating and like, and like being like vocal about it, like people appreciated his play. They appreciated like the playoffs. He finally accepted his role. And I don't understand where this is coming from now because he had even talked about how, you know, he really appreciated, you know, hearing from like cheers from the fans and like that, that, you know, he had tweeted about it. Like, and it was like a back and forth with Lauren Rosen on Twitter at one point about how like that meant a lot to him. And like, what is, what is happening now? I don't, I don't get it. It's just silly, man. Yeah. Were any thoughts on this? I mean, look, we we all have had the same Tobias conversation for <laughs> what feels like three years now. He's not as good as his contract. He's a fine player or whatever. He is ideally, I, I started calling him when he kind of transitioned into that role of spot up threes, attack closeout, save your energy for defense, hustle for rebounds, that kind of role that we always wanted Tobias in. I called him Tobias Harrison Barnes, which is like, Mm -hmm. we want him to be the role player guy that, you know, when he was on the Warriors and he was this fourth, the fourth guy and, you know, he knew his role. We wanted Tobias to be that. He finally became that. And now he's coming out completely saying the opposite. One of part of me goes, even if he didn't get his way, I don't think Tobias would make a big stink about it. That's kind of just not really who he is as a person, but with the vibes being as sensitive as they are with Joel and James yeah. Harden, who both have a history. I mean, Harden way more so than Embiid, but Embiid has a little bit of, you know, he's, he's not the most consistent. He's kind of all over the place emotionally sometimes. And you got to look at it like it's a sensitive situation where like where Tobias was a locker room leader before and a, and a guy that everyone seemed to like and be kind of like this connecting piece. 
if he is now unhappy, it's going to create a general unhappiness, which is what you're kind of talking about right now. But I do think that there is, I thought about it more and I'm like, it's a long season and like giving Tobias Harris, like I honestly would go to him and be like, look, if we're stuck with Tobias, I would be like, look, we're just going to load manage Harden and Embiid throughout the year. We're going to give them off 15 games a year. We're going to, you know, if not more, if they get injured throughout the season, you and Maxi can be the guys during those games. Like that's your role. Like you can fill in that role when they're out, but when you're playing with them, this team's only going to go as far as those three take us with Harden, Maxi, and Embiid. And running the offense around them is the best way to translate to the playoffs. Cause like Tobias is actually a pretty good pick and roll ball handler in the regular season by the numbers. He's actually, it's very low volume, but he's been one of the better pick and roll ball handlers yeah. Yeah. In, in the NBA statistically mm-hmm. for the past four or five seasons. But this is in February against the Orlando magic. Like this is not going to work against the best defenses in the playoffs. And it's something that you maybe could fall back on, but like, it can't be a constant source of offense. So like ultimately what it comes down to for me is just like, look, like know your role. If you're here, you're here. I would prefer to move on from him just because I think it would give the team a little bit more flexibility. But I also think that it's a hard situation because like, just look around the league, dude, like no one's taken Tobias Harris for free. And then you have to attach legitimate like players and picks that you want and that you could improve the team with right now. We're already down one starter with Danny Green gone. So like, then we're down two starters and then we have no real reliable bench players except for maybe Paul Reed. So like, it's such a tough situation. Like that contract is just such a killer and it makes, it makes everything so difficult. Thing with Tobias and, and, you know, he has, you know, I thought he played good defense in the playoffs and and I, I don't mean this is a knock on him, but because I think that he could be more useful elsewhere, to be honest, not just in a bigger offensive role, but just in a team that has different defensive needs around their star players. Like you have Maxi and, and Harden at the guard spots. You need a better athlete on, on the wings. And I think that it was such a good example. You've watched this whole Celtics Warriors series and Andrew Wiggins' job on defense was to be on mostly Jalen Brown, sometimes Jason Tatum, jump as high as you can when they shoot these step backs and get in their, put a hand in their face, which Tobias really can't do. And, you know, jump as high as you can and try to grab rebounds. And he did that well. And Tobias isn't that kind of athlete, like as, as locked in as he was. And, and, and I thought he played the best defense he could play. Um, he's not the kind of guy to do that. And if you look at the teams, the Sixers have to go through in the East, right? Tobias is, you know, best attribute on defense is that, you know, like in that Raptor series, Tobias can take, you know, Mark Gasol if he, if he had to. And, and did a good job on him because he's sturdy and he's big. But, like, the guys you have to play defense on are, are Giannis, which no one can really guard him, but Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, George Jimmy Yang. Butler, right? Mm. George Yang, exactly. But, <laughs> but, like, these guys, these are guys who are going to shoot mid-rangers over you, and you need someone who can get a high contest up, and that's not Tobias. And it's not really his fault. I, I liked how he played in the playoffs, but I would love to see the Sixers bring in a more a better athlete on the wing. That's all I wanted to say. That's yeah. the problem is everyone wants that guy. Like of that's, course, of that's, that's that's but, that's but no part. one wanted Wiggins a few years ago. Tobias has this awful contract. Well, the Warriors had this awful contract. They had D'Angelo Russell, and they got Wiggins True. in a first round pick. So I'm I think there's I don't know who this player is, but there's creativity to to 
you know, oh, I've been looking figure it. something out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know you have. I haven't because that would make me miserable because this team makes me miserable. But I know you have. I um, it it is a. I mean, I mean Tobias, I think scored like forty points over the last three games or something like that. So it's not like he had some tremendous end to that series, the Heat series. But just the way he was playing was really encouraging to me that he's fitting in, in around these guys. And I was encouraged by that. So to, for it to be June, whatever, 15th, and for him to already be leaking all this stuff to the media is discouraging in the way that, because I was like, I, I want to trade him regardless, because I don't think that he's the right kind of four on this team. Like, I just think that we could, in an ideal world where we can repurpose his contract. And, and also, I just like to shake up this core. I, I don't think that he's the right guy to have there. And, and also culturally, not that he's not a, a good presence in the locker room, but like, I feel like there's something in this mixture you need to mix, you know, mix up. For, for him to already be complaining about his role is so like, ugh, like already like this thing that we were excited that he was willing to do, shoot quick and try hard on defense. He's already being like, no, I actually want more touches. And it's like, you're fourth in the pecking order yeah. at best you know well, and it's like that sucks it's funny to me because it's like you know normally when players complain and you know sometimes they're legitimate complaints they'll go to their agent and in this yeah. case tobias harris's dad is his agent so it's very funny to be just picturing just him yeah. going to his dad and being like dad we need to sit down he's at somebody's birthday party and he says <laughs> it's, it. it's literally it's, like it's different yeah it's, 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 it's like when situation though you yeah, know he's just telling his dad like I don't like this, and his but his dad is his agent instead of just like Adam Horford or whoever. And he's like, I gotta go tell Jake Fisher. Yeah, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, it's like when my parents when I didn't play uh, for the middle school basketball team, and they got mad at the coach. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same situation, but he makes one hundred and eighty million dollars, so a little bit better so, situation. We don't have to spend much time on this. Keith is a friend of ours, uh, and uh, Porter, you were on a joint pod with with Keith here. Yeah, Keith put a put a real piece of art lately uh this is a, an article about uh everything i will say keith has been on hard in picking up his option for a while now which he it sounds like he will um and that was included he said matisse Thibel is coming up on being eligible for a maximum extension that he could sign he said it's not like true he said it's not <laughs> likely but he could that's what he's eligible for and he is i guess technically eligible for it um and i mean listen daryl hasn't been great but i don't think he's doing that he loves um, matisse he, he said within the matisse section this offseason marks the first one in which thibel is able to focus on improving his offensive game he was unable to do that during the pandemic lockdown following his rookie season i don't know if you remember this but during that um period of time trump outlawed basketballs Yes. That was one of his big yeah. ordinances. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we defeated um, fascism, though. So. Yeah, they, yeah, Trump w- wanted everything orange out, <laughs> except for his hair. See, this is part of my Oops. act. Oops. Um, uh, then he spent last summer with the Australian men's basketball team, winning a bronze medal uh, in the Tokyo Olympics. So, I mean, the, the idea that, that Thibault was a four-year college player uh, and then is like a three-year NBA player and has literally been disallowed from trying to approve on offense. And, and this is now he's allowed to, it's tremendous. Like he's just, now he's finally allowed to great. And, That's but amazing. you could t- sign him to a max extension. 
Keith also wrote that the Sixers have a club option of 1.9 million on Shake Milton. Uh, there's a belief around the league that they won't pick it up. And then uh, this guy, uh, Michael Scotto, says the Sixers are expected to pick up the, the team option on, on Jake Milton. So, yeah, he kind of swooped in there. It, it just didn't make any sense that the Sixers wouldn't pick up the, the Milton extension because, I mean, Shake is inconsistent and he's hurt uh, uh, quite a bit, but he plays way above the, the value of a $1.9 million option. And if they don't like him, they can deal him for a second-round pick and, and recoup that value. Um I don't know if there's much else uh, within this that we need, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that's well, all I had. The, going back to the shake thing, I, I really think the shake thing was a, like a misprint by him because un- unless he, he just like logistically didn't understand how the trades work, because earlier in the article, he says they're shopping shake Milton. Right. And then right. a few paragraphs later, he says that they might then, or they're going to decline the option. And it's like, well, you can't right. decline his option and then trade him. Like, that's not, he'd be a free agent. So mm-hmm. it's not really how it works. But right. yeah, I mean, Shake is, makes literally the least amount of money that you can make in the NBA for a veteran. So I think it's safe to say, like, a guy who can be like an occasional on nights where you want to rest your starters, he can be maybe, you know, a six man type, a guy who's probably going to be like a ninth, 10th, 11th mm-hmm. man on, on next year's team then uh, he's fine. Like uh, he's shake, totally shake, fine. Shake's fine. We'll just bring shake back. I would personally like to move on from Matisse Thibel. I don't, because of everything you talked about, which is just an absurd excuse to me. Cause like it, it, it acts like no one else played in the Olympics. Like Jason Tatum wasn't in the Olympics last <laughs> year. And now he was just in the finals. Well, he played poorly in the finals. So maybe Matisse actually has a point now that I think about it. <laughs> Why, uh, I just get out of here with that I want to throw something out there about from this piece a little unrelated but I think that there's like a pretty high chance that like Daryl really likes Matisse because they talk about politics and agree I just have to throw that out there I think I think possible. that that's a, a very good possibility it is possible well here we are we're going to go to an ad break and then we're going to talk about the NBA draft as the NBA draft is next week here's the ad break It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back. All right. We're going to get into questions about the draft. Uh, Dan, go ahead and lead us off. All right. Uh, just real quick. Like what is most likely with uh, this pick here? Are we going to keep it or trade it for a veteran trade back? Probably not trade up, but like what's going to happen? I would say I overall, there's probably a good chance they make the pick because it's going to be hard to find a team that's just like, yeah, we'll take on Danny Green, who's probably not going to pay next year $10 million just for the 23rd pick in the draft. The end of the first round, there's going to be a lot of teams looking to move out. Like the Mavs already moved out. OKC already moved out. The Warriors are going to try to. So the trade market 
the thing we know about Daryl Morey is that he's going to wait until the absolute last second to possibly do it. So he already has to, he could come to a, an agreement right now and say, let's move the pick and then make the pick on draft night and then move it after. They technically can't trade it before then, but because we know that he waits until the last second and because we know that he will not make a deal if he feels as though he's not getting a good return back, I feel like odds are they probably make the pick. Uh, but I would probably say that's like 60-40. And if I were him, I would probably be trying to move slightly back in the draft, whether it's to the end of the first or the beginning of the second, and maybe get a future asset or get something, maybe a later pick in the mid-second or whatever. Because to me, unless there's a guy, like one of my guys that I really like on the board, I'm always fine with trading back as long because I trust the Sixers scouting department. Like I think that they do a good job at the end of the first and the beginning of the second. And when you're getting to that range, like the tier of player isn't that massive from 23 to like 34 or whatever. So, so it really just depends how the board shakes out, but I would lean towards keeping the pick for now. I go back and forth on this a lot, but like, I think it, it just makes the most sense unless there is a team that wants to like, wave and stretch Danny over the next three years and pay him $3.3 million to not play the next, uh, next year over the next three years, then, uh, then I don't really see, or like an OKC where like, maybe you get like, I don't know, Jamichael Green, who they just got. And I, I wouldn't do that for the 23rd pick, but they have the 34th pick. So maybe, maybe you could figure something out there. I, I just think that like odds are they'll, they'll end up making the pick. So the Sixers, they did this last year too, but they're either not working anyone out or they have a gag order with everyone to not say anything about yeah. working out with the Sixers. Um, do, which do you think it is? Do you think they're not working anyone out and they just look at highlights on YouTube or <laughs> do they tell everyone to shut the fuck up when they leave the building? Like what, what's the deal? Yeah, I do think, well, they did work out a few prospects last year, but I think they were all smoke screens. And not Jaden Springer. Right. They didn't work out Jaden Springer, but to be fair, we didn't think, I feel like people forget that like the Springer thing was also the same thing that happened with Baxi. Like right. Springer was projected to go like 13th in the draft a week before the draft. And then he fell to us at 27. So like the idea that we would bring him in to scout him wasn't even in like our, our mind at all. Like I didn't even have him on my board until the day before the draft when I heard he was going to fall into the twenties. So they, they worked out like Austin Reeves and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He was at Villanova. So he's probably like, yeah, just come over whatever. Right. But this year I, it does. I, I would guess that they are just doing private workouts. A few teams do this around the league. Uh, the Pistons are famous for doing this under Troy Weaver. They don't really like to kind of like tip their hat on who they're interested in. Uh, I'm sure agents and, players all know who they're working out but they just kind of like to keep it under wraps i would imagine that they're probably bringing in the few guys that they like in this range to see but also maury is going on the record as saying like look unless there's a markel Fultz situation mm -hmm. the large majority of workouts are not like really that useful anymore like like sometimes you'll have a situation where you'll have a bam at a bio workout where he'll come in and he'll show you that he can do way more with the ball. And he's much more offensively talented than he got to show in college, but the large majority of the time, it's like, they're kind of worthless. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I think they're probably privately working guys out. Before we get into like some of the guys who might be in this Sixers range, there's generally considered like a, a big four to this draft, like a, a top four players. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think of these guys? Like, what order do you have them in? Obviously, they're not yeah. going to be Sixers, but like, you know, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I would go. My number one is Paulo Bencaro. I believe that he has upside that people are seriously underselling. I think that he has potential to be a superstar in the NBA. He's 6'11 ball handler, power wing that is a good playmaker, has shooting potential. He's not a great defender, but like if you're worried about that, like, I mean, he, he can probably figure it out at his size. He's not the most athletic guy. Uh, but I, I just think that like, generally speaking, this is kind of a weaker draft at the top. Like last year's draft was super strong at the top this year's draft, a little bit weaker. And, uh, so Paulo isn't like a perfect prospect by any means, but I think that he has potential to be the best. So I have Paulo one, I have Chet Holmgren two, who I think defensively is going to be a, a beast. I know a lot of people will make a, a big deal about his size, but I think that hey, is he Jewish. What do we think? Chet Holmgren? Yeah. I don't think so. It looks like he could be. I, I wouldn't draft him. I would. <laughs> I would stay away from him. Is it? Uh, is I last, love a Jew, but I don't want to draft is, him one over. Come on. His last name is Swedish, I believe. Hunger. Oh, never um, mind. All right, yeah. maybe draft. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I love my comeback. people, but I don't want to. You know, come on. It's the comeback of the white American player. So we're we're seeing with Tyler Hero started the <laughs> That's the clip. That and, that yeah. that that right there is the clip. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Chet. Chet, uh, definitely, like, the big thing everyone's going to make a deal about is, like, the size concerns, which is understandable. We've never seen a player like Chet before succeed in the NBA, so it is really weird. But, like, he's an absolute beast defensively. Like, what Robert Williams does in the playoffs, he doesn't have the size of Robert Williams, but, like, he is going to have that kind of role. The roamer on the back line that's going to be an insane help uh, defender at the rim. He's going to be getting into passing lanes. Like, he's legitimately going to be elite on that end i think and offensively i don't know he, he he's probably more of a role player offensively um he might have more upside and like that's i think he'll probably end up going number one just because he's so tantalizing with that upside but uh yeah so i have him too and then i have Jaden ivy three who i think has at least a sliver of a shot at becoming a superstar he's hyper athletic really good shot creator He's got a lot to work on with his game. He's a little bit him and him and Chet are a little bit older than Jabari and Paolo, which, you know, it's a year or two. It's not really that big of a difference, but usually these guys, when they come in to league, they're like 19 years old. And then you can build from that. Like Ivy's like, I believe he's going to be 21 as a rookie, but like, I just believe in the talent. It really jumps off the screen. He's gets compared to John Morant because they're friends and he's hyper athletic. He's not John Morant, but he's like a, De'Aaron Fox, Victor Oladipo, hyper-athletic, like, scoring guy. Like, he – I think Ivy's going to be really, really good at the next level. And then my fourth guy is Jabari Smith, who – I really like Jabari Smith. I don't think that – I think that he might be being a little bit underrated by people because he does – he's not a shot creator at all because he doesn't have a handle. He can't dribble. Like, he's he's basically just, like – as someone described to me, like, Davis Bert right now he's like Davis Bertans on offense but with really good defense which is like an incredibly useful player and if he could get better and work on those things and you know kind of become more of an on-ball guy over the years which generally speaking you're already that like he got Kevin Durant comparisons and that's insane Kevin Durant was an extremely good ball handler and creator coming into the NBA he's not going to be that but like he could be 
uh, all-star level player just based on how good he is at shooting and defending. So like he could be like a Clay Thompson type, but not quite as dynamic of a shooter. So those are my four in order. I like all four of the prospects though. Like I think they're all going to have like legitimately really good NBA careers. And I think that Paulo has the highest ceiling that I think he's actually going to hit. I think Chet has the highest floor of any of these guys. And I think that Jabari also has a super high floor. And then Ivy's kind of the, the wild card upside swing. I will say about just like the, I haven't seen, I don't watch Auburn basketball. Like I, I don't know. I haven't seen these guys. This is not, uh, this is not Jabari specific, but I think that there is, and it's something I used to believe and I, I kind of have don't anymore, but back when, you know, like Steph Curry really came on and all the bigs were learning to shoot threes and it was like, wow, look at all these players who very quickly learned to shoot threes. Like it must be really easy. Like you could just learn to shoot. And Meanwhile, like something like ball handling, like you can't really, like, if you don't have that coming in, you, you, you won't have it. But like, we've seen like Michael Bridges really improved as a ball handler. He's not like, you know, a superstar and he's not, you know, he's not Kyrie Irving with, with the basketball, but he is like perfectly fine handling the ball in a way he wasn't when he came in. Sure. And we see plenty of guys who come in and can't shoot and, and don't learn to shoot because yeah. a lot of times it's just like a thing you have a knack for or don't. And a lot of these big guys probably have a knack for it and were just never told to shoot before. And so I, I think that, you know, it, it, it used to be, and maybe still is to a lot of people, just like, oh, you're not a good ball handler. That's always like, you'll, you never will be. This isn't like shooting where you can learn it. Whereas I don't necessarily think that's true. Like, I think that, you know, both of them are things that like, if you are lucky, maybe your prospect will pick that up, but there's no guarantee they will, even if you put a lot of work in. Yeah, it's definitely true, but also like that. So to put it like this, like, it's not just the fact that he doesn't have a great handle. He's not a great athlete. So like, if he's also not a great athlete on the fact that he doesn't have a great handle, like for example, Jalen Brown, who his handle is still an issue for him. It's not like perfect, but he's become way, way better. He was horrible when he came into the NBA, but he's a guy who's got to the point where he's actually got to the point where he's at least a decent ball handler. And it's once again, he has a loose handle. It's still a little bit of an issue, but he's such a good athlete that he can create these advantages just because he's so athletic and flexible and he can move so quickly. Jabari's not really that. And like, just generally speaking about that, like shooting is the easiest thing to teach, but it's not necessarily like a given, as you said, like the Sixers have learned this in a very hard way. Like we've gotten a bunch of guys who just cannot become shooters. They either don't have the touch or they don't have the form or they just can't figure it out over the years, basically. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, that is like the, the case. But like, you know, there are also outlier exceptions where like Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard like became like an insane, insanely good ball handler and creator over the course of his career. Once again, hyper-athletic, but like was not that coming in. So like there are outliers when it comes to that. But generally speaking, like shooting is a skill that you can kind of build over the course of your career. And when you, you, have, a, you, you have a handle – it like I feel like there's more of a ceiling to that than um, than there is if you don't. So how we're gonna do this is we're gonna give you a different guy. Oh uh, yeah, and and have you sort of give us uh, some sort of takes on on you know how you feel about them as prospects and how you would feel about them at thir- at twenty three. Um, but I figured actually because I think my guy might be your uh, number one for the Sixers at twenty three. Give me your favorite, like your ideal outcome if the Sixers stick at 23 and draft a player. 
Uh, why don't we start there? Because I'm, I'm, I would think sure. that he's on our list of guys here. Yeah, I would um, imagine. My, my number yeah. one is is Tari Eason from yeah, LSU. Yeah, so that's my guy. So go yeah, ahead. Okay, cool. So Tari is a weird prospect because keep in mind, like I, I kind of play catch up during draft time. So like I first start with production. So I go and I look at the stats and I'm like, okay, so who is – the most productive players and like Chet Holmgren was extremely productive. Paulo Ben Garrett was extremely productive. Okay. We're not going to get those who in the second tier of guys. And this was a guy in Tari Eason who was projected to go top 10, top 12 until recently, very similar to the Springer and Maxi situation where they fell towards the back end because of whatever happened. The difference between Springer and Maxi and Tari is that Tari was extremely productive. He's also a little bit older. He's 21 years old. He's six, eight. He's a big power wing. He's going to play the four in the NBA probably. And he is a absolute beast on defense. Like he's, he's kind of like, he takes a lot of risks. He does the Thibel thing, but like, imagine if Thibel was also a, like pro, even more athletic, but then on top of that was also six, eight, like two twenty-five. Like he's a big dude who you can put on, the other team's best player, like a Giannis or a Tatum or whatever. And he's one of the best athletes in the class. He was crazy productive in college on the defensive end, especially, but offensively, he showed some flashes. There are concerns about his shot, which is why he's falling. There are concerns about his ability to create because he's just, once again, doesn't have a great handle. He is a very good athlete. He's a hyper competitor, which leads me to believe that he's just going to get better. And he showed touch from the free throw line, he shot 80% from the free throw line on extremely high volume because no one can guard this dude basically in college. He's just an overpowering freak. And because of that, he got to the line a ton and he shot 80%, which is generally speaking a better indicator of future success at becoming a shooter in the NBA than three-point percentages. Sometimes guys shoot like Tyrese Maxey shoots 29%, but he's 84% from the line. And you're like, all right, we have something to work with here. The touch is there. He was, he had much lower volume on floaters. Whereas a guy like Maxey had a huge sample of shooting floaters and he was extremely good on those. So he's a little bit more like has lower like sample in that regard, but he was pretty decent. He shot like 45% on floaters. Like there might be potential there. His shot is like pretty much totally broken though. Like, so that is the thing that's going to scare the shit out of Sixers fans. And I totally understand if you're out on that, but my whole thing is, is like, these guys don't become available, especially at the end of the first round. And on top of that, you can't get them in a trade and you can't get them in free agency. Like everyone wants hyper athletic, big wings that can defend their ass off and do the things that we were talking about with Andrew Wiggins. Like they, we want that guy. And like, even if he never becomes that guy, my whole thing is, is like, so I, I, Jonathan Kaminga was a better prospect and like has generally speaking is like probably more skilled offensively and like will probably have a higher upside than Tari. He didn't have quite the production that Tari had, but he has definitely some higher upside. Jonathan Kaminga would probably go for a lot in the trade right now. And he's not even a good NBA player right now. Like just based on like the few games that you saw him because he's so talented and he's so big and he's that archetype that everyone's looking for that like, I look at it like if you get Tari Eason and he dominates in summer league and then he comes into his rookie year and he's really good. Like if we can't fix his shot, some team's going to take the risk on that and we can figure out later what we can do with that really. So like 
Tari, Tari's my guy. Like I, I feel like he's the only thing that's going to hold him back is the offensive side. Like if he can never develop a handle, a shot and his decision-making isn't great on that end either, but ideally he's like a play finisher where like, hopefully you can get to the point where you can shoot spot up threes and attack closeouts and be like an OG Ananobi type basically is, is the hope there. All right. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Williams? So I like Jalen Williams. Um, only thing I'm worried about with Jalen Williams is that he played, so he played three years in college. Um, he's 21 years old. So he's around the same age he's 21, 22. Uh, he is this around the same age as Tari, but the difference between those two is that he wasn't nearly as productive, like from like a point standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, he, he just showed things that feel like they're going to translate to the next level. He's a guy that I've kind of come around on recently. I was informed by a guy named chucking uh, darts he is a great chuck he is a great podcast called chucking darts he came on my podcast and he talked me into him like two weeks ago and now i'm like totally in on Jalen williams he's third on my board right now uh basically all you need to know about him is like he really impressed at the combine he came in and was like not projected to go as high as he's probably going to end up going i don't even think he's going to be available for the sixers anymore like he was a second round pick not that long ago and now he's probably going to end up going in the teens which those guys always scare me a little bit because like they kind of come out of nowhere whereas tari's like the opposite like tari's falling from the top 10 to the back end of the lottery because of some question marks jalen williams is skyrocketing so he went to santa clara which is you know obviously a smaller school but they do play in a decent conference they play against gonzaga twice a year and he showed you know he's a great shooter he can he's he's definitely going to be a guy you can plug and play as a wing pretty quickly and the thing about him that everyone kind of was like wow we didn't realize this is that he is so he's like six 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 seven but he has a crazy wingspan. He got to the combine and he had like this seven foot one wingspan, I think it is. And then on top of that, he also basically, he gets in there and he's just dominating in the combine games. So when he starts dominating the combine games, everyone's like, all right, who, like what we need to know more about him. And the more that people have dove into the tape and looked at the stats and everything, like it feels like he's going to be, at worst, like a rotational wing in the NBA, which as we know is incredibly hard to find, especially a guy who can handle the ball a little bit. He's not going to run your offense, but he can be a secondary creator. He can shoot threes. He can keep, he's a really good passer. So like offense, he's more of an offensive guy that you hope because of the tools he can get there defensively. But, uh, but yeah, Jalen Williams is going to be good. Like these are the guys I feel like I, they have a very high floor of like, they're going to be NBA players. Whereas at the end of the first round, like usually you're taking total, total risks of like, all right, is this guy even going to be a guy at all? Yeah. I feel like maybe I'm a little, a little biased, like, you know, have a little recency bias here, but like when I hear like an offensive guy, I hope you, you figured it out defensively. I'm like, well, you know, Ben figured it out defensively. So you know, <laughs> that was an offensive guy coming in. It's fine. Like, same exact scenario. It's the same thing. Um, all right, so here's a guy who I've seen play exactly one game because I watched Villanova in the tournament. EJ Liddell. Oh, yeah. Um, what do you think? I like EJ. Uh, I He's also – so these are all my guys. Like, these are all dudes that I think are going to be good. I think EJ Liddell – so the, I have him fourth on my board now. I had him higher before. The only thing that I'm worried about with EJ Liddell is what position he's going to play. Like – if he's really a good enough rim protector at the NBA level and he can move his feet in well enough in space, which is 
moving his feet well in space is not something that he's thrived at. If he can make strides, which he absolutely did, he 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 came back this season. I had someone bomb. Uh, I had uh, Mac, Maxwell Bomboards on my podcast a few weeks ago, and he basically said like the thing about Liddell that everyone loves is like he went to the combine last year, and they said to him, "Look, work on your shot, work on your defense, work on these things. Come back next year, and we'll see how you look." And he skyrocketed up boards. Like he could end up going in the teens too. He could go end up going in the the uh, early 20s he's a highly productive player I think he's a pretty safe pick like I think at worst EJ Liddell like is going to be like an eighth or ninth man like a useful player you could bring in off the bench and if he hits his ceiling which might be a little bit higher than I think people are giving him credit for because it feels like we do this with the older players a lot we're like yeah he's 22 but like he was really really good at 22 years old in college like he was legitimately like productive as hell on a good team with Ohio state. He had one other NBA guy with Malachi Branham on the team. So like, you know, that obviously helps, but you know, he was doing a lot of things that he, that might not necessarily translate to the NBA in terms of like, he posted up a lot and like he, he had a lot of offense run through him. That's not what's going to happen. You, you want him to be like a PJ Tucker type. You want him to like shoot threes, keep the ball moving, which by the way, he's a pretty good passer and he's a pretty, he's a a pretty good shooter. If the shot, the shot has questions about it, but like, I trust that it's going to translate. I just think that like from everything I've heard and like, I actually know people that like have like like trained with him and they're like, no, this guy is like a psycho worker. Like he's going to come in and he's going to bust his ass. And like shooting is one of those things we talked about earlier where like, you know, some guys have it, some guys don't. Well, he showed enough of it in college. And if he's a worker on top of that, then he's going to get to the point where I think he at worst has an average NBA jumper and he might be able to stay on the court because of all the other things like the rim protection and, and just kind of like his overall like IQ. He's a super smart player. I, th- I think he's, he's probably the safest pick that we could take here in terms of like, he might have a little bit lower of a ceiling than like Tari Eason, but I think that he's going to have just like, I feel like I could see EJ Liddell having like a good, like 10, 12 year career, just as like a really, really good role player. Yeah, you know, obviously you prefer a guy to be younger, but I feel like people get a little carried away when they're like, oh, well, his ceiling's capped because he's 22. And it's like, as we know, every NBA player is done improving at 22. Like, if you're not, <laughs> if you're not where you are by 22, you're, you're done. That's all you have. Like, well, we know, also like, have a recent history of that just not being true at all. Like, I mean, like yeah. Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain was 22 when he came in. Uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler. Like, there are guys. Like, <laughs> there are exceptions to well, the, these guys to this are going to get better in, like, until they're like 30. Sure. Right? Like Michael Bridges, like yeah. the guy you talked about earlier, he was 21, 22 when he came in. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, of course, I prefer if this same player with the same skill set was 19, but like, I don't think you can write a guy off because he's not. But yeah. uh, you got to, right. if you're going for the upside oh, yeah. swings, I get taking the 19 year old, right. but like, right. it doesn't mean that the guy that's 21, 22 doesn't also have a lot of upside just because the thing that people overrate the most, I think, is love that's raw and athletic but they're not particularly good at basketball. And like EJ Liddell, Tari Eason, Jalen Williams, like they're really good basketball players that could get better just because generally speaking, NBA players too. <laughs> right, right. Um, Unless you're a Sixers fan. Our guys don't, but other players do. Just Maxi. Yeah. Um, all right, here's two guys who I've seen a lot and whose names are like very similar. So I'm just going to give them to you both at the same time and you tell me what you think. Jaden Hardy and Dalen Terry. 
So I love both of them. <laughs> These are all my guys. So like Jaden Hardy, um, that is like the upside guy. Like that's like, I honestly, like I have him number two on my board, but I'm also like, if we went with one of the older guys, I wouldn't care that much. Cause I don't know. It really depends. If you think Jaden Springer can play next year, which I'm skeptical of because I'm still worried about the shot. Then I do think that like, if Jaden Springer can play next year, Jaden Hardy is a totally fine pick there. Cause you, you don't want to have too many spots on a contending team that are like safe for just developing guys. But if you have one or two at the end of the bench that like, maybe a year or two from now could be contributors. That's totally fine. I, I, the thing I like about Jaden Hardy is he was already like, he struggled in the G league. So just a little bit of background on him. He was the number two recruit in the country a year ago, and he was expected to be a top five pick in, in the draft. He goes to the G league and he struggles massively in his first month or two. And his shooting was terrible. Shot selection was really bad. He is a hooper. And I've wanted a dog throughout this whole process. That's Dale and Terry, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But like Jaden uh, Hardy is like the ball don't stop like king. Like he is a pure hooper, you know, and he's going to have every knock that you hear about all these bucket getters, bad shot selection, you know, gets tunnel vision, all that stuff. But he's also extremely talented as a shot creator. And if you are looking for an upside swing that you can develop alongside your other guys that might be taking a step further in that development, Jaden Hardy's a really good guy to take a swing on. We've been connected to him at 23. I don't know. There, there were two Intel-based mock drafts that had us taking, uh, one had us take, there were three actually, Kevin O'Connor's had us taking Blake Wesley, who's another guy that's like kind of an upside swing guy. And then the other two, uh, ESPN and Bleacher Report had us taking Jaden Hardy. And like, the thing about Jaden Hardy is he's the perfect kind of guy that you want to bring in. He's like a Cam Thomas type where like, remember how like everyone, Cam Thomas is another guy who's like a pretty good basketball player. Like, like he coming into the draft, he was getting shit on for the same things that Jaden Hardy was getting shit on for. And I still don't think he's like a good NBA player right now. He was a rookie and like, he'll probably get to the point where he's like either a really good six man or like a solid starter that can work off of guys. And I do think that like guys like Cam Thomas and Jaden Hardy might lose a little bit of value just because they, you just look at them and you go, Oh, they're scores. If they're not stars, what can they be? And I'm like, well, you know, there are plenty of guys, especially in the modern NBA. Jordan like Clarkson comes off the bench and Jordan scores. Tyler Hero, uh, Jordan Poole, like, and yeah, maybe those guys eventually will get to the point where they're a little bit better and they can be seen as the stars. But like, if they don't, they're still fine, useful players on good teams. And I, my whole thing is like, Jaden Hardy's the kind of guy, if you get him very similar to Tari Eason, if he shines in the first year or two, like, I think Cam Thomas, if you put him on the trade market right now, would have a lot more value than he did when he got drafted at 26 last year. And you know, ultimately those are the kind of things that you're looking for when you're trying to rebuild kind of like, like our cupboard's going to be really bare now because we're using our last pick basically this year. We're not going to be able to trade except for super far out picks, which teams usually don't value. We really only have like two or three prospects in the pipeline. And the thing is, is like, if you bring in Hardy and he flashes in the summer league and he shows in preseason and he'll probably be in the G league again next year, because 
by the end of the season, he kind of figured it out in the G League and he was like much, much better. And I think this is like someone that could be like him and Tari are like the two guys I look at as like lottery talent that we could get at 23 that we've gotten lucky with. And the other guys are more like probably like mid teens, late teens talents that I feel a little bit like safer about the fact that like I know that they're probably going to be pretty good NBA players, but I don't think that they have quite the upside of Hardy and Eason. How much do you worry about like, okay, so Jaden Hardy, like maybe a Cam Thomas type coming in where it's like, yeah, he's a hooper. Yeah, he also like right now kind of sucks for an NBA player, but you fully can see like, like if he makes strides in certain areas, he could be very useful. Like with, with, an, I don't mean to like make this doc specific because a lot of coaches do this, but like with doc, like on a team that wants to compete now, like, like, is that guy really going to see like, I mean, Paul Reed didn't play till the very end of the season. Like right. a guy who has to work out the kinks, a guy who has to get a better feel for the NBA game. That's their big thing. Like, is, you know, a coach going to give him a shot and specifically here is Doc going to give him that shot to work it out in the regular season? Yeah. I mean, look, that's the reality that we live in. Like that's kind of just the situation that we're in right now. Like I, every coach does it, but Doc is one of the more stubborn ones. Like mm-hmm. To me, it's like Doc, Bibbs. Like there's just like a handful of guys that are like, we're not playing young players ever basically. And uh, unless it's an extreme circumstance, like your best, uh, one of your best players decides to just quit playing basketball. And then you also have this other guy that's on the bench that you can bring in and replace him. But you know, I do just a hypothetical, by the way, yeah, just uh, never, never. Yeah, definitely. Just made that up off the top of my head. But um. I do think that that's a concern for sure. And that's why I'd be fine with trading the pick. Like I'm not opposed mm-hmm. to trading. I think that I would prefer to make the pick just because of everything that I've stated. Like, I think the Sixers are going to have no flexibility. They're going to have nothing to trade. They're going to have nothing to really look forward to except outside of just like Maxi's development. And like, that's like your upside swing mm-hmm. and getting more upside swings would certainly not help in in terms of like having them on the team because like a lot of people have talked about like drafting for fit right and i'm like the Sixers have like five playable players in the playoffs maybe four and a half really paul reed's not like fully there yet like we think he might be there so like you really have four guys who are playable in the playoffs we can't be super picky but like if there's a good veteran out there that's the alternative i'd be fine with that but i i think that like I think that there's probably going to be a little bit more of an understanding because as Dave early brought up when he came on my podcast recently, it's like, look, when, when Maury and like there, when we got Deandre and he wasn't working out, there was that Jake Fisher piece that came out that like, it seemed like there was a little bit of a disconnect between the front office and doc. And that like, there was some tension there because doc just literally refused to play. He only plays his guys basically. And, you know, part of the job is like, Maury, don't give him those guys. And I hope he doesn't. But uh, but another part of that is like, m- maybe that's why Paul Reed ended up getting that opportunity at the end of the year. He played into the playoffs. And like, if you want a guy that Doc's going to play, don't draft Tari's and don't draft Jaden Hardy, because those are two guys he's not going to play because of the things that you mentioned. Tari's going to have a lot of bad decision making early. He's going to have to learn on the job uh ej liddell is a perfect kind of doc guy like he's kind of he's kind of like tobiasy basically but like that's what i was thinking when you were describing him but i didn't want to say it yeah no he's a little tobiasy but it tobias if he had better role player skills mm-hmm. if that makes sense right. like i could see ej liddell becoming a really good corner three-point shooter a willing corner three-point shooter 
a rim protector, like a, a, the, the things that you want to bias to, to buy into and do. But um, he, he is a little bit, but like Jalen Williams probably would be a guy who could play right away, EJ Liddell. Cause like all the guys that we've drafted so far, there have been two, well, first off, they're all high pedigree guys. Springer, Maxi, Bassey, like they all were like former high recruits in high school. And then they end up like whatever. But long story short, the large majority of these guys that we've drafted are pretty young when we draft them. They're usually 19 or 20, sometimes 21. And I say the youngest player in the draft. Well, yeah, Springer was the second youngest second, player yeah. in the draft behind Josh Primo last year. So, like generally speaking, we've drafted guys who are super young and most of the time not ready when they're in their rookie year. If you draft a little bit older, I think that like Doc, like I'm fairly certain Doc would have no problem playing EJ Liddell next year. But I think that, like, if you want a guarantee of that, you might be better off trading for a veteran. You know that he definitely will play. Yeah. So we're taking up a lot of your time. We have, like, four other guys here. Uh, Dan Terry, who I already mentioned. Um, yeah. Go ahead and give – however much time you feel is appropriate to any of these guys, because I haven't seen any of them play. But we have okay. Dalen Terry, Marjan uh, Buchamp, mm -hmm. uh, Blake Wesley, and yeah. – well, actually, Steve put Marjan – I shouldn't blame Steve, because Steve does, like, all the prep work. But – all right, so just those three because you have okay. three guys twice. Yeah, what those are, are my guys? other three guys. They're my second tier. So I actually have another guy that I want to add to this. I'll talk about him yeah. a little bit later. It's Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. But um, okay, so Dalen Terry is uh, you want a dog draft Dalen Terry? Like he's the dog of of the end of this first round. Like he is a get in your grill, hustle, get rebounds, play defense. The only thing that scares me, and like, look, like, you know, Eason has question marks about the shot. Liddell has question marks about the shot. I'm not saying that they're going to be perfect, but I worry about Dalen Terry's offensive game a little bit. And a really smart draft guy said to me, like Ben Pfeiffer said to me, like two weeks ago, he's like, he might be a little bit thigh ball. And like, that's something that would be concerning. Like defensively, he's going to be awesome. Offensively, he averaged eight points a game as a sophomore like that's not a great sign like generally speaking guys that average eight points a game never end up becoming good nba offensive players like so the hope there really is that like dalen terry who uh, another guy who's a dog and a worker and like one of the uh, he's so confident and the other day he said in uh, a workout, like in 10 years from now, when we're doing redrafts of this draft i'm gonna go a lot higher and like that's the, the kind of attitude that like my whole thing with Thibault has been like, I think he has the talent to become like a legitimate, like Danny green type player in his career. I just don't think that he particularly really puts in the work or cares all that much about basketball, which is totally fine. Like, I mean, like I don't want him on the Sixers, but like, if that's your thing, like I'm not crazy about my job. I just work a job. Like it's my job. And my whole thing on this is like, if Dalen Terry is thiable offensively, but he also wants to work on his game and like, he might get to the point where he's a decent spot up shooter and he'll probably end up being because he's pretty athletic and long and he's, he's skinny, he's six foot seven. He'll probably play the two to start. If he can put on some weight, he'll probably end up being able to play the three at certain points, but he was like a point guard shooting guard in, in at Arizona and uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit worried about the offensive game, but the defense and the rebound and all the role player things we want from a guy are already there. So if the shot and the other stuff can kind of come into form, like he's going to be a good role player. And uh, he's another guy who's been shooting up draft boards. He was projected to go like 50th 
until the tournament. And then he started rising and now he's probably going to end up in our range around like 23. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we drafted him. He seems like a guy that Maury would like. I'll say that much. And then you said, so the other two were Marjan Buchamp, Blake Wesley, and you had Ty Ty Washington as well. Sure. So you don't so, have to say whatever you want, but you know. Okay. So Marjan's another guy that like, I'm really worried that like, okay, so he's a little older. He's 21. He played in the G League. I do wonder what the G League guys, like, it seems like it takes a while to get used to the G League because, like, by the end of the season, they all kind of figure it out. Like, Bochamp is pretty athletic. He's six foot six. He's a wing. You know, he's kind of in that mold of guy that you're just hoping that you can mold into something, which another prototype that just kind of scares me. Uh, You know, his shot looks good, but, like, he's just not a great shooter right now. And then, like, defensively, like, he has all the tools and, like, we'll probably get to the point where he's a really good defender, but he he's not a really good defender right now. So, like, the the hope with a guy like Bochamp is that, like, you can kind of develop him. And I'd, oh, I like him as a prospect for a team like the Spurs, probably more so than the Sixers, because, like, this, they'll teach him how to shoot. They'll teach him, like, everything that he needs to become a good NBA player. And a few years from now, we'll be like, how did they get this guy at 26 or wherever they pick? But, like, the Sixers just don't really develop guys. That's, like, that's why I'm kind of am leaning towards the more, like, finished product players. Because, or at least, like, workers that, like, I know are going to be, like, maxi types that, like, in the offseason are going to develop themselves. Because the Sixers just haven't invested that much in, like, developing their guys. Like, I think Paul Reed and Maxi, like, they've kind of developed themselves. Like, they come back better after the offseason and they're better at certain things. And I don't really think that it's like the team that's necessarily working with them. So like Bochamp is like a prospect I like and like has potential. And once again, like if you hit on a wing at the end of the first round, that's massive because no one can get wings. They're the most desired thing in the NBA right now. And it seems virtually impossible to get any good athletic ones. So I think that's kind of the idea there. It's more positional value than anything else with that pick. Blake Wesley, I wish I knew more about Blake Wesley, to be honest. I just know a lot of really smart draft people that like him. He's, but he's another guy that's just like super young, 19, has upside, scoring guy. He's not a great finisher right now. He can shoot, but like it would come and go. Like he's a lot more like I would be pretty, like he got connected to us in a few mock drafts. And I'm like, I'd be pretty surprised if we drafted him because he's got, he probably has a long way to go, but like, of the guys later, he's another guy that has like a ton of upside if you want to take a swing. So I don't know what's on about him, but like Ty Ty Washington is another guy that I uh, that I haven't really gotten into until recently. But like watch Ty Ty's film, like the Kentucky thing is real, dude. Like you go to Kentucky, like you're not going to go there and you're, you're not going to be like this hyper productive win a ton of games, like whatever guy, like the Kentucky seems to now focus more on like developing their one and done guys than opposed to like, like actually like working like towards like, like, be, like being a winning product in college necessarily. So like the guys, like, I mean, God, go back to even, even the really good Kentucky teams to be fair, like Devin Booker and Tyler hero and, then you get Maxi, and then like every year there's like Shea. a different what's that? Shea Shay Gilgis Alexander. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jamal Murray, uh, like the long lineage of 
Kentucky guards Sorry. that that end up because like they're the way that they develop guards and like the way that they have the eye for talent for these guards is 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 really impressive. Like even a guy like Emmanuel Quickly, who's like probably going to be a pretty good role player. Like the large majority of these guys that actually end up getting drafted are pretty fucking good. And I do think that like Ty Ty is just like Ty Ty was projected to go way higher. He got injured and his stats fell off. He didn't look nearly as good, but like, I do think a large part of that was the injury. He's, he's another Matt. He's another guard. He's bigger than Maxi, a little bit bigger, but like, he's like six, four. And like, he, he, he's not as, as bursty as Maxi, but he's got a crazy floater package. He, he shot 59% on floaters this year, which is fucking bonkers he shot 57 percent on long twos which is fucking bonkers yeah like he long two in college is is like 20 feet but it's still crazy uh okay so maybe it wasn't long twos actually i now that i'm thinking about it it was that eight to 16 range so like the pure mid-range but the reason why he was taking those shots it's extremely good to shoot 57 percent from that range and the reason why that's that's uh, important is because his spacing was really bad. Like Sam Vecini explained this on a recent podcast where he was basically like his spacing was really bad. So he had to take those mid-range shots and he was really good at them, which shows that like a lot of guys that are good mid-range shooters in college, like can almost always extend it out to the three-point line, especially because, like, Ty Ty was actually a pretty decent three-point shooter. I think he shot, like, 36% on decent volume this year. And, like, what I think was creating most of those looks because their spacing just wasn't that great. And, like, just generally speaking, like, he's super talented. Uh, someone called him to me, like, a diet Mike Conley. Like, I think he'll be, like, a, a role-player type guard but like a very useful one like he would be a great third guard for the Sixers defensively he's going to be really good at like chasing guys around screens and he's just like a really smart defensive player so I do think that like Ty Ty probably has some room to grow but he's a little bit older of a prospect he's he was a freshman one and done but I think he's 20 almost he'll be 21 at some point next year because that's how time works but um he is someone that I think could probably play within the next year or two if the Sixers do end up getting him once again high pedigree guy too he was a high recruit was supposed to go high in the lottery and then fell because of the injury but the talent is certainly there it's so interesting you know I feel like with Cal Perry I'm always asking myself like is he just such a phenomenal developer of these guards or is he just such a bad coach who has a great eye for talent like well I think it's that you think it's that I think it's that I think I think everyone like like I think that he's lost a little bit of his magic as a coach like I don't think that like he, I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of like college doc almost where like he, he trusts the older guys a lot more, but it forces the guys around them to develop their games because the large majority of guys that are coming into college are like Devin Booker eventually got to the point where he, but he was an on-ball guy, but like now he's a really good off-ball player and Maxie's a really good off-ball player and here's a really good off-ball player because of the things that they had to learn when they were at Kentucky, they weren't these ball dominant guys and that gets them ready for the NBA where like 99% of the time when you go to the NBA, you're going to have no role player skills because most guys come in and they're ball dominant and they're they're just like, they're the guy. Yeah, exactly. So like it's, they're, Kentucky players tend to be a lot more malleable because Cal does that basically. So like, that's kind of just like the general way to explain it, but like, yeah, like he's got an amazing eye for talent for sure. So 
so those are all of the, you know, all of the guys that we wanted to ask about. So my last question for you is maybe the most important one, although, you know, the six, so the six have, I think, drafted really well, um, you know, since, since, since Daryl's been here and even, you know, for a while before that, I mean, the Sixers have had with good. some like really, really blatant exceptions, like good drafts. Um, who would be to you a guy or, or a couple of guys who you see getting, you know, sometimes mocked the Sixers going around that range who you'd be like, well, that sucks. Like that, that was an awful pick. Um, so there's not a lot of guys that I would be like, that's an awful pick, but I like, I just, and they're not even bad prospects to me, but like, I would be really uh, disappointed. I'm looking at boards right now, like our range. I would be really disappointed if we got like Nikola Jovic, who, not Jokic, Jovic, who's, you know, a foreign prospect who, like, he's probably going to be okay. I don't know. Like most of these guys in this range, like 50% of the time, they're not NBA players. So like, who knows? But like, he's super young, has has shooting and passing upside he's not probably going to be a creator and he's really bad on defense and he doesn't really have the tools to like get better on defense and like i'm thinking uh, looking at these guys other than hardy everyone that i mentioned at least is going to be passable defensively Mm -hmm. and like i think the sixers like you mentioned earlier when you have harden and maxi like having good defenders around those guys is going to be extremely important for the next few years. Like, I don't really want to de- draft a guy that has no defensive upside. So, yeah. like, I definitely – they went and scouted Jovic. Also, Jovic is probably going to be a stash, which would be a really bad idea to draft him if, he's, if he ends up going over and staying over there for one year. Uh, you know, another guy that, like, I've kind of soured on personally ever since I talked to more draft people that know even more than me. Like, I'm, like – I get into the game late and I figure out this stuff. Another guy I would be pretty disappointed with is Patrick Baldwin Jr. Who I honestly, Kendall Brown, who uh, he's probably going to end up being good in like four or five years. And this will look like a bad take, but like, he's another guy that like, he just doesn't shoot. And like, he's a wing and like, he'll, he'll develop on a good team and probably end up becoming okay. But like, if for the Sixers, like, he's just like, he's like Bochamp where I'm like a little bit worried about like, that guy on the team but Patrick Baldwin Jr. is is a different kind of prospect where like he was one of the worst players in college last year in terms of like production like yeah I'm good negative BPM as a freshman and like he has a very weird situation his dad is one of the (laughs) I always joke about it he bought a high school he bought a charter school and like did the Imani Bates thing where like basically it's a weird situation. And like his dad was the coach at Milwaukee uh, where he went and it's a very weird situation. A lot of people like him because he has um, the, he, he showed a crazy shooting upside in high school, Like he was supposed to be a much higher pick and fell way further down than he was supposed to go because he was so bad as one year in college. But everyone that is like a defender of him is basically like he was asked away to do way too much on a really bad team he he will find a role in the NBA, but then he got to the combine and he tested like horribly athletically, like one of the least athletic guys in this entire draft. And I'm like, the Sixers just cannot take another, like he's big and he can shoot theoretically, I guess, but like the Sixers can't take a guy who wasn't productive in college 
And then on top of that, like, isn't even a good athlete. So like, you can have something to build on and you're kind of just like, well, he's tall and he can shoot. So maybe he'll be able to figure it out. We like, already I'm have just... a ton of guys who can kind of shoot and like, yeah. like Furkan kind of shoots, right? Like right. In, th- in theory, Furkan shoots. Like we don't yeah. need the kind of shoot skill set. We have that covered. Exactly. Yeah. And then other than that, I don't think there's anyone that I would be like super disappointed with. Like most of these guys, like I'd be fine. Like, I think that they'll, most of them will have like, if they end up becoming NBA players, will have decent careers. And uh, yeah, I mean, like everyone I mentioned, like I'd be totally fine with. And like, those are the two that like, specifically for the Sixers, I just don't want them anywhere near the team. Like, even though I know a lot of smart draft people who like them a lot, I'm just like, they're not, they're not for me. And I will say, you know, because we, we did talk about, you know, you mentioned, and I had mentioned before the defense, when you have Harden and Maxi at the guard spots, obviously, you know, the hope with Harden on defense is like, well, maybe his hamstring was hurt. Maybe that's getting better. Right. I think that there's some thought that like, first of all, I think Maxi's generally overrated as defender. Like, I think he's very bad and, and gets talked about as passable. Um, but I also think that there's like some thought, even like a, whether that's people who like him, people who, 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 you know, don't like him defensively, which is more me, where it's like, okay, he's small and he tries really hard. So there's not a lot of room to grow. Because when I see him, I was like, I see a really hard worker yeah. who, as of right now, is really not a smart defender yeah. and, and makes bad plays defensively, does, does things that, like, there's room for improvement there, like, can make better defensive decisions, can, you know, become a guy who gets his hand, who, who gets his hands on the ball, who, you know, knows better what to do, um, you know, just all around on defense. Like, I think that there is, I don't think he's ever going to be a good defender, but I think he can be a perfectly fine defender. I do think there's room to grow there. And if like, if there's a guy who's going to find it, I think it's him. So I, I don't, I don't think that that negates the fact that you need to like have guys who can defend around him on yeah. the team, but I just, I don't want to, I want to, we all love Maxi. I want to leave it on a note where it's like, he can get better there. Right. He definitely can get better. There. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's going to hold it back is the physical tools. Like right. he's, he's just small. not, he's small and like, but like he still has a really big wingspan. Honestly, I think the ideal role for Maxi on defense is kind of like, uh Derek White, Justin Holiday, like a guy who chases dudes around. Right, right around yeah. Like, yeah, like like he can guard like a Trey Young, uh Steph Curry, like a guy that, that it is like, I mean, no one can guard Steph Curry, but like in theory, those are the kind of guys that he should be like. He can really only guard ones and twos sometimes, depending on who the two is. But like, there's going to be things that holds him back. But like, I actually think he could get to the point where he's a pretty good defender. Like, I, I think that because of the skill set and like he's athletic enough, and like he's always going to have limitations due to his size. But like, he's 21. Like, and like the way that he has improved his offensive game, like, and shown flashes on the defensive end, where like. He had one game where he made Trey look legitimately not good. Like he had like, and he still has games occasionally where I'm like, and like his best role in the playoffs was like that. Like he was chasing Max Struess around screens. He was chasing, well, Duncan Robinson didn't really play, but like when he did, like he was trying to do that. Like, I, I think that there's potential there. Like if, if Max, if there's anyone that could get there, it's Maxi, like you said. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, that was some good draft talk. I learned a lot because I knew nothing and you knew a Hell lot. Yeah. So that was great. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's all, that's all we have for now. I mean, obviously, you know, go listen to the, to the, you know, ball pod. I'm sure most people already do, but if you don't, you should, um, subscribe to, to, to Porter's pod and to ours on YouTube. Um, right. and yeah, I mean, besides, obviously, you know, follow, follow Porter on Twitter at Trilbro dude, 
Um, I don't have my own one anymore, but I just do Gasher Blues Pod. We have Drew, who's going to edit the pod, DA Pels 13. Steve is Steve J. Lippman. Emily is third and girl. Um, and yeah, so uh, anything else you want to you say before we head off? No, that's it. Uh, we are doing a live draft stream on the night of the draft. If you guys are doing a Liberty Bowlers one, I don't want to conflict with that. But we are. Oh, that's okay. That. I wouldn't even know. I, have, <laughs> I I wouldn't know if we were. <laughs> we, okay. we, we did in the past, but like Dan Olinger really organized that. He's not really around anymore, so we might not. Gotcha. I have no idea. So, Someone's you, doing something, but I don't you know. know, you know, ball on YouTube. Uh, slop. It, it is so. We're gonna have a, a cast of characters. If you're around and you want to hop on, you're obviously more than welcome. All of you guys. I'll are. come in. I have no knowledge to share, but I'll come. Hell back. yeah! Just come riff. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. That's what we do. So it's a uh, draft night. Slopped and screwed. Uh, I am the slop guy. So that is that's my thing. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, so subscribe to us on YouTube, and uh, we'll be going live on draft night. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Everyone should check that out and uh, be safe and be great. Thanks, Porter. Peace, bud. <laughs>